This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confidence, hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our, our hearts with joy with his love. Morning. If you guys would turn to Romans chapter 5. We are, I'm going to paraphrase, um, because we left off in Romans chapter, last Sunday we left off in Romans chapter 4, we covered um, verses, I believe, 7 and 8, and we stopped at 9, and um, and now you're probably wondering why we're at 5, because I told you there was a lot of area in scripture that continue to repeat itself. And basically what Romans is doing as it goes through four is saying the same thing. It's justified by faith, not through works. It's justified by your belief. And so basically what the next, that section of Romans does, it covers another topic, which I've already covered with you guys, talking about circumcision. Circumcision is something that you guys, you know, we don't even, we don't really understand it. Most kids are circumcised nowadays, and we don't even understand the whole basic behind why that, why that was something that was done. In the Jewish heritage, um, after Abraham, circumcision was a sign that you belong to God's people. So basically, all the young men were circumcised saying that they were dedicated and basically they were followers of Yahweh, they were followers of God. So the circumcised young man would represent a follower of God, okay? But Paul made it very clear that circumcision is not something that we have to adhere to anymore. If you want to be circumcised, fine. If you don't want to be circumcised, fine. It doesn't matter. And it basically also said that if you were an adult, because in our in culture, if you, were, if you were to become a follower of Judaism, you'd have to be circumcised as an adult. Yeah, I had a lot of cringes there. But Paul is saying, don't worry about that. I was like, if you're not circumcised, don't get circumcised. If you want to have your children circumcised, great. Basically what he's saying is it's not based off of circumcision, it's based off your belief in Christ. And so basically all that, this part of Romans, is not, it's not really talking about circumcision that way, it's talking about a proof to the Jews who were arguing with Paul, telling Paul that, you know, circumcision is represented an act that needed to, that you needed to be, have a relationship with God. And what Paul says in chapter four and those the rest of those verses is that Abraham was was justified by his faith, and then he was circumcised. So Abraham's faith and his justification occurred before circumcision. So hence, circumcision is not a proper argument to how you're justified by God. And then it goes on also to talk about how Abraham kept the faith and not works through his entire ministry, through his entire life, because he was, he was given a promise by God that he didn't see in his lifetime. He was told that he was going to be the, the father of a great nation. Well, that didn't happen while he was alive. It happened later. So Abraham did everything he did based off of a promise, 
And he stepped out in faith and he believed God even when he didn't see the results. So again, what it shares in that section of scripture is that Abraham was, was justified by his faith, not by his works. So I want to make sure I didn't skip scripture without at least clarifying what it was talking about. But it was going on that same argument. And we've been doing that same argument for the last two weeks. It's by faith, not by works. By faith, not by works. So I didn't want to go ahead and repeat myself again and say the same thing, but I wanted to tell you the different argument that was found in that piece of Scripture. Amen? You guys good with that? Now we're in chapter 5, and we're talking about justification, which still is going to have some of the same stuff, but it is kind of a different topic. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Father, for each person that's here, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified in everything that occurs in this building, Lord. It occurs in each of our lives. Lord, it is by your grace that we've been saved, and Lord, it's an amazing thing. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just be glorified in today's service. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you renew our minds, Lord, that your word would just feed us. Lord, I pray, Father, that as we listen to your word, that we realize that it cuts deeper than a sword, Lord, that it never doesn't go away void. Lord, I do pray you bind the enemy. Lord, Satan and his demons do not want people to be set free. They do not want people to glorify you, Lord. And, they, and Lord, that Satan is trying so hard in the world today in each of our lives to destroy relationships, to destroy our walk with you. And Lord, I pray, Father, that if the enemy is in this church today with anybody, Lord, I pray you bind them and cast them into the pit. Lord, I pray you put a uh, seal in the pit, put a wall of protection on each of us in this church, Lord, that we'd only hear one voice, the voice of your Holy Spirit. He who is in us is greater than he is in the world, talking about your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just speak. I pray that I would decrease, they'd increase, I'd be hidden behind the cross, Lord. Lord, because there is nothing good in Bob if you take God away, Lord. If Jesus is not in me, I'm just a wretch that needs you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just speak to our hearts, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be worshipped, and that your will be done. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Can I just get you to shut the back door? Thanks. Hey, man, you, look at I got holes in my pants and a T-shirt on. Are you going to come in here and make me look bad? We have a relationship, man. <laughs> you, do, you do that on purpose, don't you? you go, one day I'm going to dress you. I'm going to come in in a suit. And you're going to be like, what? I'm going to tell you it's dress down day, and I'm going to dress up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Where's my glasses? Did I bring them over here with me? Did I bring my glasses? I'm going to go get them, guys, because I'm old. I need them. <laughs> Look at that. You heard me, Paul. You already hand-delivered them to me. I don't got my cri- – what are you doing, Brandon? Get off my cap. I'm just kidding. <laughs> What happened is, I'll forget you put the cap on there. No faith, man. Isn't this all about faith? All right. You guys would turn to Romans chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 5. Dan did a fabulous job reading it. Today's title is Faith Brings Everything We Need. Now, let me repeat that title one more time. Faith brings everything we need. I mean, think about everything you need. Think about you know, that whole I need mentality that we have. I need this, I need that, I need this. Everybody in here needs something, right? I can give you, if you don't, if I'm lying, man, I could write you a, a list of 200 things that 
I need, or should I say I want? Right? If we write that I need list, it's really a I want list, isn't it? I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. Give me, give me, give me, please. If I had this, I'd be happy. If I had that, I'd be happy. If I had this, everything would be great. If I had this, everything would be better, right? It's basically a I want list. But when it really comes to what the title of today's sermon's about, it's a faith gives you everything that you need. Amen? Everything that you could possibly need, you can you have in Christ. And Paul made that very clear in his ministry. He made that very clear in Scripture. If you read the New Testament, you read the epistles, you read Acts, you read all of it. And really the New Testament, guys, when people say, well, I don't, I don't have time to read the Bible, anybody can read the New Testament. The New Testament is an easy read. You ever hear that? You ever, you ever hear people say, that's a hard read, that's an easy read? The Old Testament is a hard read. It's a hard read. It's not easy to read the Old Testament. If you get into Leviticus, you have to read that book on a two-story building with your feet and body hanging over the side. If you fall asleep, you fall over. That way, you won't fall asleep while you read it. It's it's hard to read. And and I, and I hate saying it about God's Word because Leviticus is full of rich, meaningfully awesome things. If you want to understand God, you got to read Leviticus. But it's not the reason that people don't like to read Leviticus because it's all about God and it has nothing to do with them. People only want to read something that has to do with them. Isn't it true? What do I get out of it, right? Leviticus is boring because it's all about God. It's not self, it's not, it doesn't come back to you at all, right? When you start reading God's laws, I don't want to read those. Because you know what? I don't like to read everything that I don't do, right? So, the New Testament, though, you have no excuse. The New Testament is an easy read. The Gospels are fun to read. They're rich, they're fun, they're exciting. Acts is one of the best written, fun books you could read. It's fast-paced, it's moving. You get to see the beginning of the church. The epistles are all amazing and awesome. Look, the book of Revelation, I always try to tell people, be careful reading that thing because you can walk out of it without being taught or asking good questions and get confused. But come on, man, the book of Revelation is a book that's probably one of the best topics in the world today. Everybody wants to know the end times, right? So you have this incredible book called the New Testament that is easy to read, so stink and read it, right? And if you read it, you'll learn about Paul. And this, these sermons would be really a lot easier to understand, right? Wow, huh? Or at least read Romans. <laughs> but anyway, Paul lived a crazy life. He was a Pharisee. He was a rich, prominent, powerful man. And he was going around promoting Judaism, not Christianity, and he was going against Christians, and he was having Christians beaten, he was having Christians killed, and then all of a sudden, Jesus got a hold of him, knocked him off his donkey, and saved him, converted him, and he became an apostle, and he changed his name from Saul to Paul, and as an apostle, he was an apostle to the very people that he was killing, or the very people that he hated, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which God is amazing at changing people from what the very thing that they hated to, to making it the very thing that they're passionate about. Only God can do that. Amen? Amen? I hated Jesus. Now I'm a pastor. I did. I hated Jesus. I made fun of him. I threw my finger up at him. I, I cussed at him. And I thought anybody who followed him was weak and pathetic. And now I'm a pastor. How, do, how does God? That's amazing what God could do, right? He said, all right, you want to hate me? I'm going to make you love me. Right? God can do anything. He changed any man's heart. Amen? 
So here you had this guy, Paul, and Paul went from being a very upper, crusty kind of person to a person who relied on God every single day for his survival, for his food, for his well-being. He traveled all over to different places preaching. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was a lot like Jesus. If you gave him a place to stay, he would stay there. If you fed him, he'd eat. If not, he'd make tents and sell them. He would preach on the corners. He'd go to the people that nobody else would go to. He was a lot like Jesus. And there's, and if you, if you listen to a story, especially of Philippians, it says that he was beaten, that he was shipwrecked, that he was stoned with big rocks to death, almost. That he had a very rough life. And then he said in that, in, the, in that whole passage, what he's saying is that I've had all these bad things happening, all these good things happen to me, but the bottom line is, none of it changed my relationship with God. I was blessed during the good and the bad. I had everything that I could possibly want. My faith provided everything for me. That's the secret. Amen? And that's what I'm trying to explain to you, church. Faith gives you everything that you need, maybe not everything that you want. Paul had a rich, full, amazing life, and he didn't regret a, a, a penny of it, did he? We get so caught up in ourselves that we start getting... We, how many guys? How many people have had pity parties for themselves? Me, I have. Wah, wah, wah. I don't have, I don't have, I don't got, I don't got, blah, blah, blah. Life is not as good. I'm not blessed like that person. And the bottom line is you don't base your blessing off what you have. You base your blessing on this, what you really have. Amen? All right. God is good. So today's title is Faith Brings Everything. God's unbelievable love is what we really have. So we're talking about justification. When you look at verse 1, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and what our Lord has done for us. That is called justification. The reason that we can be right in God's sight is because we've been justified in God's sight. And justification's definition, when it comes to God, means this. To count someone righteous, it means to reckon someone righteous, to credit someone righteous, to account to them to be righteous, to judge them as righteous, to treat them as righteous, to look upon them as righteous. It does not mean the person's righteous. Let me re-say that one more time. Justification isn't something that says that you're a righteous person. Justification says that you're a not righteous person, but God's going to say, I'm going to call you righteous. But really, you haven't changed. You're still a person, Right? And a person's not righteous. A person's screwed up. A person is going to continue to make mistakes. We're not God. Amen? So what God takes is he takes unrighteous people, he takes unworthy people, and he counts them as righteous through Jesus Christ. So before Jesus Christ, you're an unworthy, unrighteous person. Amen? You're walking around separated from God because of sin. For all have sinned, fall short the glory of God, Romans 3.23 the way you sin is death. You're walking around with sin separating you from God. You're unrighteous. You're dirty. You're full of sin. And you're dead. You're separated from God. And then all of a sudden, you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God says, that faith, that belief that you had, is what I'm looking for. That's what I want. And because you believed in my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will credit you as righteous. I will take your unrighteous butt, and I will deem you righteous. Amen? That's an amazing relationship change. So God takes the dirty, stinky dog man, and he says, you're a good dog, and he makes you his. Amen? I mean, I hate using terms like that, but we gotta, we got to come off our high horse, people. You take Jesus away from us, we stink. If you could only know the guy that I was before Jesus, you'd be like, uh-uh, 
You wouldn't want nothing to do with me. And I remember who I used to be. That's a good thing. Amen? I remember what I was saved from. I remember, I remember who the person I was. And I know how, how close that is. I know if you take Jesus away, I'll go right back to that person. I struggle every day with some of the same things. Even though I have a relationship change, I can feel that unrighteous old, be, old man wanting to rear his head up. But God says, you know what? No matter how stinky you might think you are, I count you as smell good righteous. Amen? And it's not because you've done a thing, but, but believe. Not because of all the little tasks you've done or the things you've accomplished or the, or the things you've built. It's not based off of your effort. It's based off of your what? Belief. In fact, the Greek verbs that end in O-U-N mean not to make something someone, or not to make someone something, but to merely count, to judge, or to treat. So when you look at Greek words like that, I'm not a big Greek fan. I had to get this out of a Greek tool. But basically what it's saying is anytime you have that and it's describing it as a verb, it means to count as not to recreate. So God doesn't say, okay, you're now a, a righteous person, that you're without sin completely, that you're completely, that you didn't need you, you're completely clean. God says you're dirty that I deem you clean by my words, by my action. Amen? So he takes the dirty and makes it clean in his eyes. He doesn't recreate the person. Amen? You can see man is blessed by God through justification. We talked about that last week. Blessed. If you, if you go, if you were to say, what are you? You're a blessed person. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a blessed person. You're a child of God and you're blessed. So when you walk through a line at Walmart, you say, how are you? I'm blessed. There's nothing wrong with saying that because you know what? You are blessed. If somebody says, how's your day? Well, I'm blessed. You know what? Even if you're having a bad day, you're what? Blessed because you're a follower of Christ. When Paul was beaten or he was left for dead, he was still what? Blessed. He's justified in God's eyes, which means that he is blessed. You're blessed if you are a follower of Christ because you've been deemed righteous by God. You've been, you've been accredited with righteousness. You see, a man is blessed by God through justification. Blessed beyond all imagination. You can't even fathom your salvation. That's what I try to tell people. You say, oh, I'm saved, I'm blessed, I'm justified. And you say that easily. But the bottom line is, you don't understand the depth of what you are. The fact that you were saved, the fact that you're not going to hell, the fact that you've been given a new life, the fact that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, these are things that should cause us to be in awe. It should trigger inside of us a desire to draw closer to God, knowing that we are amazingly blessed, that we have, we have deep, 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 a deep relationship with Christ. We're heirs to Him. We're heirs to God through Christ. We are partakers of his, of his divine nature through Jesus. You ever hear, let me just say that one more time. You are a partaker of God's divine nature through Jesus. It says that in Peter. A partaker, not an observer. A partaker. That means that you have God in you. He is part of you. You're partaking of his righteousness. You're partaking of his divine nature. You're his heir. He deems you his son or his daughter, not his slave. A son or a daughter. This relationship we have is beyond anything you could comprehend. You can't even imagine how deep it is. 
It should trigger this, this response in you just to be in awe and to worship and to glorify God. Our only response that we can give God is our worship, to glorify him, to give him credit for the things in our life, to worship him, to glorify him, to lift his name up. We're, we can never earn what we have. We don't deserve what we have. We can't earn what we have. We can't pay him back for what we have. So just give him your life with your worship, amen? Just say, I love you, Lord, and, and, and not be afraid or ashamed of that relationship. Why does God justify people? Because of his son, Jesus Christ. Why does God justify people? Because of Jesus Christ. When people believe in Jesus Christ, God takes that person's faith and belief and counts it as righteousness. The person is never righteous as a person without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, there is no counting as righteousness. There's a concept right there. A not, that's not a, uh, we talked about that last week. That is not a popular concept in the world today. It's the whole depth. It's the whole major belief of Christianity. If you want to be a Christian, then you have to take what Jesus said to the bank. He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Nobody comes on the Father except through me. Except through me. Except through me. The whole bottom line is to be a Christian, you have to place your faith in Christ in Jesus Christ. He is the only thing that allows you to have a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the only answer, period. End of story. And it's not popular today. It's not popular to go out and say, if you want to have a relationship with God, it is only through Jesus Christ. People don't want to hear that. They want to hear, oh, I want to do my thing or this thing. I want to do this. You can do that. They want to, they want to make God their own thing. They want, to, they want to write the rules to get to God. They want to say, this is me, and this is what I'm doing, and it will lead me to God. And Jesus said, it's not about you. It's not your rules. It's my rules. And if you want to have a relationship with the Father, it's only, 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 only through me. And that's not popular. That's not popular. In fact, if you were to go out and tell 20 people that this week, you would have people make fun of you, yell at you, call you all kinds of names. How dare you sit there and tell, tell me that that poor Muslim over there isn't going to go to heaven? Or that, or that Jehovah Witness? Or, or that, or this, or, or this person over here that believes this. How, how can you judge them? I can judge them, not really judge them. I can tell you in the Word of God that it says if, they're in, if they haven't placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they don't have a relationship with God. The Bible judges them. Step up. Put on your man pants or your woman pants and step up. Stop being a chicken. Right? I don't want to say that. It might offend somebody. Well, you know what? If they don't have that, they have nothing. You know where these people go that, that, they're, that you offend? If they, if they continue to believe what they're believing, even though they might make fun of you, they might spit at you, they might yell at you, they might even fire you, they, whatever they might do to you here on earth, you know what their end result is if they continue to go down the path that they're going down? They go to hell. They burn in hell for all eternity, separated from God. And I don't want to live with that in my conscience, knowing that I could have said something, but I was too chicken. I don't want anybody to burn in hell. I'm telling you, church, what a horrible idea for somebody to burn in hell. My worst enemy, I don't want to burn for all eternity. You know what? You might want your worst enemy to be punished, but how many people want them to burn in hell for all eternity? 
That's a little too much. Right? I don't think anybody, I mean, come on, man. After the first, what, four hours in fire, I'd be like, let him out. He's good. He's paid. Right? If we have any compassion, if we have any love for the Lord, we're don't, we don't want to see people burn. We got to step up and we got to take the truth of the gospel to them. What does the Bible say? You got to own up to the truth with people, not play around with it. So the first point was justification. The second point, justification brings peace. Justification brings peace based off of verse one still. Peace with who? What does justification bring peace with? Peace with who? Your friend next to you? What is the justification that we're talking about here? What kind of peace does it bring a person? Peace with who? Peace with God. You know what the Bible says you were before you placed your faith and trust in Christ? You were an enemy of God. God. God of all creation. The great I am. The king of the universe, the king over the universe, everything. God, you were his enemy. Before Jesus Christ, before you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were an enemy of God. By believing in Jesus Christ, you went from being his enemy to being his friend. Amen? You went from being his enemy to his friend. Now you went from being at war with God, because he said if, if you're, if you're, if you're against God, then you're his enemy. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're his enemy. You went from being his enemy to being now at peace with him. When Adam and Eve were made, and they were in the garden, before they sinned, before Eve sinned and Adam, Adam was responsible for it, according to Romans. <laughs> oh, yeah. You men are still responsible for everything. So don't even, what? You are. <laughs> um, so before they sinned, They were at peace with God. They had peace with him. They did. They had peace with God. And then, when they sinned, they were at war with God. And God decided at that point, he needed to redeem them. And that's where the plan came in action. Their whole redemption plan happened in Genesis. And Jesus is the end result of that covenant with Abraham all the way through. The new covenant is with who? Jesus. Amen? The new covenant is in what? My blood. Jesus, the completer of the law. Amen? Not the ender of the law, the completer of the law. You understand what I'm saying? Peace with God. Peace with God does not mean escapism. You know, when we say we have peace, people like to say, you know, here's what, even I'm guilty of this. I want peace. I'm, I've been going through this little phase in my life where I'm getting really, you know, at this time of year, I get, I get wore out. I'm a human being. I'm not Jesus. You know, when Jesus said that he preached to the multitudes and he did all this ministry, um, what did Jesus do? What did he have to do every once in a while? He had to go up on a mountaintop and pray and get away from the people, right? I'm not saying I, I want to get away from you guys. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm getting a little wore out right now. I'm a little tired, right? So I, I have this imaginary thought of peace, though, which is, not, which is incorrect. I say, oh, I want peace. You know what my idea of peace is? Get away from people. I want escapism. I want to escape. I want to be on a mountain with a big cloud over my head just hub- and just sitting in a hammock or whatever. You know what else brings me peace? Shooting things or fishing. <laughs> what, did you, what brought you peace? Killing little animals? 
legally. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that, 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 what people say is peace, they say, oh, I want to escape. I want a quiet atmosphere. I want absent from trouble. I don't want to have any trouble. I want to be absent from trouble. That's a human idea of peace. But that is not the peace it's talking about in Scripture. You don't get to, you don't have escapism peace in Christ. You don't have absent from trouble in Christ. You don't have a quiet atmosphere with Christ. Amen? That's not the peace he's talking about. That's our imaginary peace, right? When you, when you guys think of peace, you were thinking of my kind of peace, weren't you? Yeah, you were. I need some peace. You need a quiet mountaintop or a nice calm lake or a Caribbean area with a hut with nobody else. Right? Right? I see you guys are thinking peace is. <laughs> peace with God means this. This is what peace with God means. Having a restored relationship with God. That's peace. No longer being alienated or separated with God. That is peace. Now being reconciled with God. That is peace. Now being accepted by God, that is peace. Freed from God's wrath and judgment. Freed from God's wrath and judgment. Now that is peace, huh? Amen? No more fear of God's wrath or judgment. Whew, I feel real peaceful now, right? I know what was in store for me as a non-believer, right? I don't have to fear hell and brimstone of fire anymore, do I? I have peace. I, ooh, can we just... No lava bath for Bob. Right? Right? I mean, I just didn't... I, I, ooh. No, no lava bath. That's, that's a great thing. Now I'm pleasing to God. That, would, that one blows me away. Even though I don't think I'm pleasing to God half the time, as I know me. You should know you, right? Even though I walk around thinking I'm, I'm messing up on a daily basis, in God's eyes, I please him. That's peace. God is pleased by me. That's peace. Did I earn that? No. I'm at peace with God. That's peace. It's not the same as human peace, is it? It's far better, isn't it? It's far more important. It has a lot more depth. In fact, after you hear the human side of it, then you hear the God side, you almost feel bad for thinking the human way. Don't you? I mean, after I was doing, when I was writing this sermon, I was like, because I was really wanting the mountaintop, the escapes. I was thinking this stuff. And then preparing for the sermon, I'm like, I feel real guilty for wanting to go up on a mountaintop and shoot things. I should have peace in my own, where I'm at now. Amen? I could have peace in Williston. Why don't I have peace here? I mean, for, let me just say this, guys. What better place than to be in a church full of people that love you? I think some of you guys love me anyway. At least like me or tolerate me. <laughs> you haven't asked me to resign lately, so I'm, I guess I'm all right, right? I, be, I have peace with you. <laughs> God is good. <laughs> the, source of the, the source of this peace is with who? How do you have it? What's the source of the peace? What's his name? Jesus Christ. Man cannot have peace with God without who? Man cannot have peace with God without who? Man, you guys, you guys are pathetic, man. You cannot have peace with God without who? Jesus Christ. You cannot have peace with God without who? Jesus. There you go. Jeez, did I call you pathetic? Will you still love me? I didn't say nothing real bad, did I? 
I'm pathetic. Sometimes too, right? I've heard you guys whisper. (laughs) Verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into his place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing to sharing God's glory. Wow. We confidently look forward to sharing God's glory. Justification gives us access to God. gives us grace. Grace means what, church? You should know it by now. Unmerited, undeserved favor. What does justification give us? It gives us access to God. It gives us His grace. What is grace? Unmerited, undeserved favor. A person who is justified stands in God's presence. They're saved. They're in His favor. They have full privileges. And they receive all of His promises. Let me say that one more time, church. I mean, I don't, I don't think you guys are excited enough. A person who is justified stands in God's presence, is saved, is in his favor with full privileges, and receives all of his promises. Really? You guys are like, I think I'm going to throw something at you. Is that exciting? Is that not exciting? If that doesn't excite you, you have, you're a lump on a log, baby. Amen? That is exciting. Think about that. I like that whole idea of receiving all God's promises. Every promise in the Bible, I can, I can count as mine in Christ. I have full privileges. Full privileges. I'm part of the God club with full privileges, and I'm part of it because of who? Jesus Christ. And I can't be rejected. You can't vote me out. Amen? No matter what you guys think or no matter what you guys do, I'm still a child of God. No matter what you do, no matter what happens in your life, you're still a child of God. Nobody can take that relationship from you. It is sealed. It is delivered to you. It is yours. Nothing can take it away from you. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30 says that we're in Christ's hand. And he said the only way you can be removed from Christ's hand is if you're greater than God. It says that in Scripture. Are you greater than God? Is Satan greater than God? Is anything in the world greater than God? So you know what that, that passage says? Once you're a child of God, you are secure forever. Forever. That is amazing. That is awesome. Amen? That is a good place to be with God forever. And that's not even listing all the privileges that you have. You have to read, you have to read the New Testament now, don't you? You want to hear all the privileges, don't you? Well, start reading. You want to hear promises? Read the Bible. Don't, don't expect me to hand them all to you. Be responsible. Do you, you own this thing, right? You have one of these? We don't live back in the old days where this is in Latin and you can't read it. They got this in every type of English language you can read, and you got one right in your lap. Read it. I go to church. I, you, I, we pay you to tell us. No, I'm, you pay me to tell you to do it. <laughs> and that's what I'm doing, telling you to do it. And I get paid for telling you what to do. Yes. Amen. Best job ever. What do you do all day? I tell people what to do in the Bible. God is good. Amen. 
<laughs> a person who is justified stands in God's presence, saved as in his favor with full privilege and receives all his promises. It is only through Jesus Christ we have access to God's grace. John 10, 9. Yes, I am the gate. Through me you will be saved. Jesus said in John 10, 9, Yes, I am the gate. Through me you will be saved. Through me, through Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Does it give you any other options there? Is there a plan B, C, D? Humans like to have a plan B, C, and D with a multiple bunch of little options underneath that, like an outline. But the bottom line is, Jesus said, I am the gate, and it's only through me. Only through me, only through me, only through me. End of story. Amen? you got to say that boldly. Do you think that Joe Osteen will let me preach in his church one Sunday? Do you think I'd be escorted off? They might not escort me off, though. They might wait to the end. But he might, he'll have a whole ten-part sermon series on how I, would, I screwed up. Right? God is good. Ephesians 2.13. Turn there. Ephesians 2.13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. Once you were far away from God. But now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Amen? I mean, is Scripture clear? Scripture's clear. Hebrews 10.19 And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 1 Peter 3.18 Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned but died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death he was raised to life in the Spirit. Man, can we hit this thing out of the park any further? Through Jesus. Did it give you any plan B, C's, or D's in any of those scriptures? Amen? One of them wasn't even written by Paul. It was written by who? It was written by Jesus. One was written by Peter. Well, they got one written by Paul. It's all through the New Testament. Amen? God is good. Justification, the next point, justification gives hope. Can we say that word, hope? Hope. This world needs hope. I mean, I, one of the things that I read when I took a youth ministry class is that most teenagers have a feeling of hopelessness. Our youth today, church, our teenagers, more than ever, have a feeling of hopelessness. And if you're somewhat young, you probably are sitting there going, how in the heck did he figure that out? He's 44. Because I want to stay in tune. I want to be a 44-year-old that understands how young people think because young people are our future. And I don't want young people, I don't want to just, you know what a lot of us old people do? Oh, you know what, they're just stupid teenagers, stupid kids. You know, they'll grow out, but we don't really care what they think. It's only what we think. And that's our future we're talking about. I care what they think. I care what they're going through. I care what's going on in their heads. I care how they view the world. Amen? And it breaks my heart that most teenagers today find their lives hopeless. They see hopelessness. You think about it, though, church. You think about what do you see in the news? What do you see? It is a bleak picture that we, we have projected to us. Technology didn't, didn't make everything better like it was supposed to, according to what happened in the 80s. 
Amen? Before the postmodern view, we had this other view that science was the answer for everything. Then we found out science didn't cure every disease, and science didn't get rid of every weapon of mass destruction. In fact, science put more of them out there. And science probably created more diseases. Science ain't the answer. Technology didn't solve all of our problems. Now you have teenagers that see this, and they say, well, you know what? I see war. I see rumors of war. I see this disease, that disease, starvation. I see corrupt governments. Man, how many teenagers look at the world and say, you know what? Every government's corrupt. We're all corrupt. Well, it's the headlines, baby. Every party's corrupt. You know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, they're all screwed up. You just got to pick them out of screwed up you like. Right? Vote for as much, the least screw up so you can get as much, you know, right? I mean, it's not a pretty picture, is it? And then you have all these doomsdayers coming out and they, and their voice is actually heard nowadays. Amen. Before doomsdayers would be like, that guy's off his rocker. Now they have TV shows about him. You could turn on a TV and find out how to be a doomsdayer, right? Doomsdayers are popular now. Amen. Because people are starting to think, well, maybe there's something to these people. Maybe they're not all whacked out. Maybe our country is falling apart. Maybe we do need to start preparing. Amen? Because things don't look so good. They look kind of hopeless. Well, let me give you a little wake-up call, church. According to the Bible, things are going to look hopeless. According to the Bible, things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. And you don't want to hear that. Well, I don't want to go to church to hear about how things are going to get worse. I'm telling you, I'm going to be an accurate pastor. I'm not going to be afraid to deliver you the truth. Things are not going to get better. You're not going to have a kumbaya, happy little world that you're going to live in. It's going to get worse year by year by year. And then eventually, there's going to be this thing called the tribulation period. And then things are going to be good for a thousand years when Christ sets up his kingdom. Amen? But things are going to get far worse before they get any better. So put on your seatbelt and get ready. Things are not going to get better. So that hopeless feeling is pretty easy to see, isn't it? But the great thing is you don't have to feel hopelessness when the world is like this. Because in Christ, you have hope. In Christ, you have everything that you can possibly want. And pastors need to start preparing their churches like that. They need to stop pretending things are all great in the world. And they need to start preparing their churches for leaning on Christ, standing in Christ, walking in Christ, and serving in Christ during this time period. Amen? Stop being afraid to tell people the what? Truth. This is not the kind of hope that the world means. The hope of the world. What the world wants for hope is a desire, a want. The world hopes or wants things to happen. <laughs> you know, in order to have hope in the world, you desire something to change. Amen? I mean, and that's where young people look out and they say, oh, I don't see nothing getting better. Well, I got an answer for you, young people. It's not going to get better. But I do have an answer that supersedes that. His name is Jesus Christ, and in him, everything could be better. Amen? You want hope? You need Jesus. Amen? You want hope? You need Jesus. You want something that you can hang your hat on? His name is Jesus. Amen? If you want something you can trust, you want something that you can rest assured in, you want something that is not going to fall away on you, then his name is Jesus. Amen? Everything else is fleeting and falling away. The world is falling apart. 
But you know what? God's going to rebuild it someday. Perfect, a new, a new world, a new earth, a new heaven. Amen? Hallelujah. Do you guys look forward to that? Are you excited about that? Would you rather be there than here? That's a question that most people go, um, I really like it here. I like this hopeless, stinky world. I like it here. I don't want Jesus to come back in my lifetime. Well, you know what? That's being stupid. Come back today, Jesus. Take all of us, and let's set up this kingdom. I'm ready for it. Amen? I don't want my kids to suffer. I don't want my kids to have hopeless feelings. I want my kids to walk and be with you. Amen? Come on, Jesus. Come back right now. I heard this cool message. This preacher was talking. I read it on Facebook. He was preaching when Jesus went, I'll be here till God takes me away. He died on the spot. Hallelujah. What an amazing preacher. I hope one day I, I just preaching and I say something like that and I go out just like, that'd be awesome. Andrews and Bob dropped dead right when I said it. That'd be awesome. God would prove his point. The whole sermon would not be, you know, my points wouldn't even matter. If I said, if I had made a point that said God would take me home when he's ready to take me home and I died right then, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on, please. I'm serious. I'm not afraid to die. If he struck me down right now for you guys as a point, I wish I would, I wish I'd just go. Wouldn't that be awesome? You guys don't even cry if that happened. I want you to, I want a big, a big party afterwards. Right? God is good. You guys think I'm crazy for saying that, don't you? I'm not. It's better than dying of what half this other stuff we die of, right? Right? And I don't want to be old and decrepit. I don't want to rely on a walker. Oh, I can't even picture that. God, I'm not saying I won't live with a walker. If you want me to, please don't give me a walker. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't do it. All right. This does not mean the kind of hope the world wants for stuff that they want or desire. The hope of a believer, a follower of Christ, is a hope that is with a surety. Can I say that again? Hope that we get in Christ is hope with a surety, a perfect assurance, a confidence, a complete knowledge of. Amen? Not something we hope for, something that we have. Not something that we want, something that we get. Amen? Not something we're looking forward to, something we possess now. Amen? That's hope. That's the hope you have in Christ. How can hope absolutely be assured? You got, how can hope absolutely be assured? By being an inward possession. How can we be assured of hope? Because it's an inward possession that we own. Believer's hope is based upon the presence of God's Spirit who dwells in every single believer. You have hope because God dwells in you. He seals you. He lives in you. And you have hope that doesn't go away. He is, hope is with you every moment you're alive, asleep, breathing, or whatever. Amen? And that hope will never leave you. He will, that hope delivers you right to the, right to Christ where you will worship for all eternity. Amen. You have been promised. You've been sealed. You've been secured with the Holy Spirit of God. You have hope that can never vanish. It is the possession that you have in Jesus Christ. Amen. The hope that you have in Jesus Christ. In fact, a believer possesses the hope of glory that only the Holy Spirit can guarantee. Ephesians 1, these are so important. You know, and another thing, this, these passages I'm about to give you, there's another, there's another belief system that I cannot stand. It's false teaching. 
There's a difference between being sealed with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. People say, well, you don't, there's, there's a belief system that says you don't receive, you believe in Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit later. That is a very false statement. That is a lie. You receive the Holy Spirit the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ. Now, letting, now being filled with the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit lead you, that's something that happens. Amen. That's something that we have to allow to happen in our lives. But to say that you don't have the Holy Spirit till later is a bunch of bunk. That's garbage. That's false teaching. That is not a true statement. The Holy Spirit is in you the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, and the Bible supports what I'm saying. You ready to read it? Amen? All right. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Turn there. I'm sorry, Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13. Now you Gentiles also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. When you believed in Christ, he identified, when you believed in Christ, when you believed in Christ, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that you will, that you will give, give, that he will give you an inheritance that he's promised and that you have been purchased, that he's purchased us as his own people. He did this so that we could praise and glorify him. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed. When did you see the Holy Spirit? When you believe. If you don't like that, you disagree with that, too bad. The Bible's right, you're wrong. Stop arguing with God. I don't care what your opinion is. I only care what the Bible says. Take your opinion and take it to the opinion bank. I don't care. Amen? You should only care about whose opinion. You ready for another one? I mean, that one went out of the park. Let's knock this one out of the state. You ready? Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised. It says the same thing. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. And do nothing to bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on a day of redemption. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In each of you, it said not to what? Grieve Him. The Holy Spirit is a promise, and you receive the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit, by the way? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three parts, one God. Who is this Holy Spirit? Is he an it? No, he's a he. He is God. And where does he live? He lives in the, in the lives of every single follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit is running rampant on the earth today in believers. I like that running rampant. The only thing is we don't let them go rampant, do we? We should let the Holy Spirit go rampant in us, right? We should lose control in the Holy Spirit. We like to lose control drinking, partying, and doing stupid stuff, don't we? People do all kinds of stupid stuff where they lose control. How about we start losing control with the Holy Spirit leading? How about we give up our control and let him have control? Let me say it one more time. How about we give up our control and let him have control? When you drink or do drugs, you're, you're giving control over to a drug. 
Aren't you? And you do stupid stuff, right? Well, how about this? It says, do not be drunk on wine. It says to be drunk on the Spirit. Amen? How about this? How about we have a day where we just let the Holy Spirit have complete control and don't tell him no and see what the heck will happen? How about we go nuts for Jesus? How about we go crazy for the Lord? How about we be like that old DC Talk song? How about we become Jesus freaks? Amen? Why not? Right? Why not? You let other things control you. Why not let the Holy Let's have a let the Holy Spirit control day. You wake up in the morning, you say, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And when he tells you to do it, just what? Do it! Do it! Your whole day is going to be crazy, ain't it? Ain't it? Can you imagine what you will accomplish for Jesus in just one day of letting him have control? Just one day. You're so used to controlling your own life that it's going to be almost impossible for you. You're going to be like, oh! The Holy Spirit wants to control each of us, and when he, he controls you, he produces his fruit. When he produces his fruit, amazing things happen. Amen? Amazing things happen. Let the Holy Spirit run rampant in your life for a day. Amen? Let him run rampant in your life every day. He's a promise. He's a guarantee of everything that God has said. Amen? You want to know how long you're going to be saved? Well, the Holy Spirit is guaranteed that you're saved, and that you're going to be there. Amen? Guaranteed it. Three passages say it. The hope we have as a believer is far beyond anything that we could ever hope or imagine. Romans 8.17, we are heirs of God's glory in Christ. Romans 8.17, we are heirs of God's glory in Christ. Colossians 3.4, in Christ we have, we will share in his glory. In Christ we will share in his glory. Colossians 3.4, man, this is amazing. We get to share and God's glory? Really? We went from being somebody that could, that was separated from God, was an enemy of God. We, we had no hope. We had no, we had no glory. We had no, we had no righteousness. And now all of a sudden we can share in God's glory in Christ. We went from being way over here to being right next to Jesus. Amen. That is amazing. And how did it happen? Just by what? Believing. By having faith. We get, God gives us far more than we could ever give him, doesn't he? Doesn't he? God gives us far more than we could ever give him. Verses 3 through 5. I got to go all the way back here to Romans. I'm all over my Bible today. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they will help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strength is our confidence of the hope of salvation, and we, and this hope will not, okay, I jumped too far ahead. (laughs) Justification is glory in trials and suffering. Let me say it to you. Justification brings us glory during trials and troubles. Justification brings us what? Glory gives us everything that we need through trials and troubles. When a person is truly justified, they're no longer defeated by trials and suffering. Let me say that one more time. A non-believer, when a trial or trouble comes their way, they're defeated. I've seen people have cancer that didn't have Jesus, and they were defeated. They were just dead, miserable. But I've seen people with cancer that were followers of Christ standing strong all the way to the end until the Lord took them where God delivered them from their cancer. 
I'll never forget, church, this girl in my old church, she had brain cancer, and for three years she fought it. She was an older lady. For three years she fought it. She had, when I met her, she had a, a tumor the size of a, um, smaller than a, um, like a marble in her brain. And then she would go through chemotherapy. I mean, it was, it was heck, man. It was, she was so faithful. Her whole family didn't walk with the Lord. Her whole family was all over the place, and they didn't have any belief. But she had this solid belief in Christ. And during that three years, I watched her entire family place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know what their testimonies were when we went to her funeral? You know why they became believers? Because they saw this immense, real, live faith in their mom, grandma, aunt, sister, mother. They saw this immense faith that they couldn't deny. And she led them to the Lord by what they saw in her life. She was an open Bible. The way she walked, the way she talked, the way she lived. She touched my heart. I was holding this woman's hand when her last breath left her body. She was in hospice. And I was holding her breath. I got to hold two people's hands when the breath left their body. I've been there when two people have died. And when this lady died... I knew where she was going. She had this peaceful look on her face. She didn't die. And her family was just, I mean, there was people getting saved for years after her death because they couldn't get enough of this woman's testimony while she was alive. That is a person that has what we're talking about. Amen? Trials don't knock you off your horse in Jesus, but they destroy you without them, don't they? Amen? Trials and suffering no longer discourage or overwhelm believers. No longer do they put believers in a dungeon of despair. Here's the thing, church. If you're a believer and you keep getting thrown in a dungeon of despair, let me tell you what your problem is. You're not resting in Christ. You're not leaning on God. You're leaning on your old person. You're leaning on you. And you know what? If you think that you're going to get yourself through a valley, you're not. I talk from experience. I keep telling you guys, church, the last three or four years of my life were the worst that I've ever been in. And, I, and if I went to have Jesus, I would have ended my life. I'm pretty sure of it. I'm not kidding. But Christ walked through that valley. He carried me. He was everything that I needed to get me through that. And without him, I would have never made it through. I never went to the dungeon. I tried to, but he kept me out. Because in my deepest despair, God was there for me. And only Jesus can do that. Amen? If you try to rescue yourself, you're going to be in a dark, deep place that you won't get out of. Amen? God walks through the valley of death with us, does he not? Amen? Trials and suffering become purposeful and meaningful. They're no longer something that's bad. They become purposeful and meaningful. That life and welfare are complete. We, we know at this point when we're a believer that life and welfare are completely under God's care and his watchful eye. We know that God is in complete control of everything. You know what gets me through every bad thing? Even when I'm like a whiny sissy baby. Ah! Ah! This is sucks. Ah! You know, when I actually stop whining, and I actually open my Bible and pray, you know what always comes to me? I hear, God has to, you know, God speaks to us how we need to hear him, right? I have this picture of God. See, I'm hard-headed, a boneheaded. I'm kind of like a, like a Marine, you know? I need to have like Marine mentality like that. This is what God has to say to Bob. You ready? Shut up and in control. I kind of hear that. That's kind of what I want to hear. 
Shut up, Bob. I'm in control. Yes, sir. But you know, it's just somebody like, you know, it's okay, I'm in control. Right? Some people have to hear that, right? With me? Shut up, I'm in control, Bob! Step up, put on your big boy pants and trust me! Yes, sir. I mean, God's good, right? And then he goes, oh, you're so okay. Shut up, Bob, you're okay. Stop your whining. Big sissy. God is good. Can we laugh in church? Uh, therefore, everyone comes into, okay, therefore, every event that comes into our life, whether it's good or bad, they allow, they are allowed by God. When we realize God's in control, we know that whether things good or bad come in our life, they're allowed by God for a reason, for a reason. The justified person knows that God will take the trials and suffering of this world and work them out for their good. That is in John. He will work them out for his good and for those who are called according to his purpose for his glory. Amen? That's in Romans, I mean, Romans chapter 8. I want to give you some backup scriptures. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10.13 if you would. 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is one of my favorite passages. And what's not accurate about this passage, it says temptation, but it's anything. Trials, Troubles, temptation, it means anything, okay? People say, well, temptation is only bad things. No, it's any bad thing that comes into our life, anything that could cause us to go to the dungeon, okay? That's what God's talking about here. And it says this, that the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure it. God is faithful. He doesn't, you think God ignores you when you're going through struggles? You know, he's not this evil God up there that says, ha, Johnny's going through troubles. <laughs> he's got like the magnifying glass on the ant. God knows what Johnny's going through, and God is with Johnny in the, in the middle of it. And when Johnny falls down, God will pick him up and carry him. Why will God pick up Johnny and carry him? Because Johnny's a child of God, and he has all these promises in Jesus. And it says God will never forsake him or leave him. Amen. Even in his worst time, Johnny's going to be taken care of. Amen? Isn't that amazing? Even in our worst times, he's got you by the face going, I love you, my daughter, my son. Amen? <laughs> John 16.33. Turn there. John 16.33. Jesus said this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. So you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. And then it says to First John, He who is in me or he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? What do you have to worry about when the overtaker of the world is in you? Amen? What giant can slay you when you have the giant slayer in you? Amen? What can possibly whoop your butt when God is for you? If God is for you, what could be against you? Amen? We deem our personal successes and our lives as, as success. You know, there's many, all the apostles died for their faith and they were all successful. If you count your business or your money or your bank account as success, then you're leaning on the wrong God. You hear me? Because that is not success. 
Paul, when he died, had nothing. He was a prisoner. Do you think he was unsuccessful? Jesus said to the rich man, he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, sell everything you got. Come on. And he said, oh, can you just, no, no, I'm not ready to quite do that. Well, you know what? What's his God? He wanted to follow Jesus, but his God was his money. His God was the world. Who's your God? Amen? Who's your God? It's a question we all got to ask ourselves, right? Some of us split our, our duties with God. You know what, God? You know, my money and my job and my career, that's important, but God's more important, so I have to kind of split them up. No, 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 no. God is everything. He's the most important, and if these things don't fall in line with him, they ain't nothing. Who do you think pays your bills? God does. Amen? What God gives, he could taketh. Amen? Where was I at? Oh, 1 Thessalonians 3, 4. Even while we were with you, we warned you that trials would soon come. And you know what? They did. <laughs> so this whole following Christ, is it, is it trouble-free? Are we promised no trials, no tribulations? Are we promised uh, cherry cakes and potato chips and juice and punch? Huh? His disciples... That he was told, he told his disciples, you know what? They're going to beat you. They're going to destroy you. They're going to bring you before their, their kings. And you know what? Don't worry about what you're going to say. At that time, I'll give you the words to say, amen? Shout it from the rooftops, baby. Where's your faith in? Who are you resting in? Who are you trusting? Don't be afraid of the one who could kill your body. Be afraid of the one who could take your soul. Amen? Stop being a bunch of chicken littles. Right? Step up to the plate. God is good. I want you to turn. This is funny, Steve. I think last week we ended it. We ended in James too. We're going to go back to James. Is, James was Jesus' half brother. For some reason, James and Paul through these sections of scripture are going hand in hand, aren't they? Turn to James. Everybody, turn to James. Remember, I'm the pastor. I can tell you what to do. All right. James chapter one. I'll give you guys the time to get there. James chapter one. James chapter one. you get a C for coming to church, you get a B for not falling asleep, and you'll get an A for having your Bible turned to where I tell you to go. Steve, you keeping grades? <laughs> All right. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. I'm going to read these to you. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Man, this sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? We didn't, didn't we just read this in Romans? By a different author now, right? So let it grow. So let it grow. I love it. So let the trials and tribulations come, baby. So you can what? Grow. Amen? <laughs> so let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask generous, and ask a generous God, he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Wisdom, 
And trials and tribulations go hand in hand because there are no verse numbers in the original Bible. This is all part of the same thing. What does it say? It says that when trials come, which we know that Jesus said they're what? They're going to come. Paul said they're going to come. Peter said they're going to come. John said they're going to come. Everybody in, this, in the whole Bible said they're coming. The author of Hebrews said they're going to come. Amen? When these trials and tribulations come, which they're going to come, be happy that they're coming. Really? Come on, guys. When a trial or tribulation comes your way, take joy knowing that the trial or tribulation is coming for a reason. It's coming so that you can grow. It's coming so that God can make you better. Amen? Don't reject trials and tribulations. If you didn't receive trials and tribulations, you wouldn't grow. If you didn't receive trials and tribulations, you wouldn't become closer to Jesus. Amen? You would be stunted in your growth. You need to have trials and tribulations in order for you to be closer to Jesus. Amen? So you can be made complete. Without trials and tribulations, there is no growth. When trials and tribulations come, yeah, they're not fun. When the sicknesses and the job losses and the financial insecurities and all these things happen, they're not fun. When the relationship issues happen, they're not fun. But they're being allowed to come into your life because God's in control and they're being allowed to come into your life for a reason so that you will grow. Amen? So you will grow. Some trials and tribulations come into your life because of sin. Some trials and tribulations come into your life only because you're a child of God. But either either one. If a trial and tribulation comes to your life because of sin, God is disciplining you. And you know what? He wants you to glow, grow and learn from the sin so you don't continue to do it. So that you repent. Amen? If the trial and tribulation has nothing to do with sin, He's stealing all of it to come into your life so that you what? Grow. Don't feel sorry for yourself and get on a why, 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 why pity party. <laughs> why is it got to be like this? How are you growing from that? How about when a trial of tribulation comes, you be calm and you say, you know what, Lord? I don't like this. I'd be stupid to like it, but I know for a fact that you're allowing it for a reason. What do you want me to learn from this? I will worship you in the storm anyway. Wow. I will worship you and I will glorify you in the storm and I will learn from it. What do you want me to learn? And by the way, get me out of it quick. Right? What's wrong with that mentality? There's nothing wrong with it. Because it says in James, what? Let them come so that you grow. You as believers need to expect they're going to happen, but when it happens, you need to stop jumping off the boat and trying to drown yourself. Stop looking for the dungeon to go run in and be a whiner party at, right? Step up to the plate and say, you know what? This is good for this to happen to me. It's good. You know why it's good? Because I'm going to become a better Christian through it. I'm going to grow in Christ through it. I'm going to understand God's grace more. I'm going to become closer to Jesus. Jesus suffered, so I'm going to suffer. You want to know what it's like to be a follower of Christ? Then you got to suffer. Amen? Jesus suffered. He said, if I suffered, my disciples are going to suffer. Amen? And suffering, partake in my suffering, he said. Partake in my suffering so I will receive the glory. Amen? Don't be afraid of suffering. Learn from it. Paul was beautiful, a beautiful picture of that. He suffered, and he learned the secret, didn't he? Amen? He learned the secret. 
And then you look at the next section where it talks about wisdom. I love this one. You ever hear people say, don't pray for patience? I used to pray for patience. God made me patient, and all these crazy things would happen to me. It would just irritate me. And then I had a, a, a good pastor say, what the heck are you doing? What are you pay, praying for patience for? I'm like, what? Because it says if we need patience, we should, be, we should pray for patience. He said, God doesn't just, you're patient. You know what he's going to do to you if you pray for patience? He's going to allow things to come in your life to make you patient. Really? I remember praying for patience. I was so mad. I had a youthful, a youth van full of kids going to Newark, New Jersey. We were in Georgia. My, I hate Georgia. I know I'm marrying a girl from Georgia. I love her, but I hate Georgia. But anyway, it's a horrible state. You know why? Because there's this long road from Florida to Atlanta, and it's hot. And it's long. And I'm in a church van full of screaming kids. And I'm like, I want to go like five miles over the speed limit. Did I say that? I want to get through Georgia. And I'm like, they're screaming and they're crying. And I'm like, Lord God, please help me be more patient. And at that point, these two trucks with lights pulled in front of me because they're doing road work. It made us drive 20 miles an hour for 100 miles. I learned patience that day, and I lost a lot of hair. I used to be a youth pastor. I still love kids. And every youth pastor, I'm their greatest ally. I'm their greatest support. I love youth pastors. I thank God that I'm an adult pastor right now sometimes. Because sometimes adults are a lot worse than teenagers. I'm going to be honest, it's about 50-50. Adult problems, teenage problems, I can't say one ministry is easier than another one. Because you adults are bad. Teenagers that do anything you tell them to do, man, you can take teenagers on a missionary trip and you can tell them to go knock down that building for the Lord, they will knock it down. You tell an adult that, they will analyze it and try to vote you out. Am I right? Teenagers do what they're told. Adults always want to argue with you. <laughs> well, our teenagers are pretty equipped, weren't they, Steve? We had them brainwashed for Jesus pretty good before they went. I like that, brainwashed for Jesus. Drink the Kool-Aid, buddy. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So in James, it says, if you ask for wisdom, God will give you wisdom. But you know what? You don't get wise without things to make you wise. Real wisdom comes from life experience. Amen? You know, you go to a guy with gray hair and you say, hey, I want some of your wisdom. You know, why do you go to the guy with the gray hair? Because he's been alive longer than you. He's got more life experience. That's why I go to Dan for a lot of things, because he's older than me. He's got a lot of life experience. Right? So I go to Dan, give me some of your ancient wisdom. And Dan's like, yes, Bob. And he does. He gives me ancient wisdom all the time. He does. Dan's good wisdom guy. I, I, I value his wisdom. In fact, Dan knows how much I value it. And uh, I get something from him because he's been walking with the Lord longer than me, and he's been in relationship longer than me, and he's been in life longer than me. He's got tons of life experience. Why do I go to him? Because he's got experience, and he's walked through things that I might learn from. He, he went, the good or bad. Dan said, good, bad, this is what I did, it was wrong, this is what I did. You can learn a lot from an older fellow, right? Or an older woman. That's why it says older women need to teach a younger woman, amen? Yeah. Amen? That's why I go to people that are older than me, so I get wisdom. But you know what? Wisdom comes with life. Because when you, when you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give you wisdom. He's not going to slap you in the head and say, you're wise. He's going to allow things to come in your life to make you wise. Amen? Hence, the verses before that, take joy when trials and tribulations come your way. 
they, they produce what? Godly wisdom. Amen? God is good? Justification equals the Holy Spirit. The last verse, verse 5, I want to read it to you, and we're going to be closing here. I know I went way over, so we're going to go fast. I had a lot, of pat, a lot I had to cover here. Verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Justification equals the Holy Spirit. There is no justification without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit equals continuous experience of God's love through his presence in our lives. Justification means that we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit means that we have God's continual love in our lives and we get to experience it. Amen? Hallelujah? The love of God is demonstrated in his justifying of his people who truly believe in Jesus Christ. The love of God is demonstrated, Romans 5, 8, by us receiving Christ being justified. It's justified by receiving Christ, and that's how it's demonstrated. The Holy, the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God in our hearts. The Holy Spirit sheds the love of God in our hearts. He grows and matures us in the love of God, and we cannot have God or grow without the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have God. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't grow. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't continue your walk. Without the Holy Spirit, you're not sealed. Without the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer. Amen? It says all believers produce fruit, but you can't produce fruit without the Holy Spirit because who produces the fruit? The Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't produce fruit. That means you're a goat. You're not a sheep. A sheep is a believer. A goat's a non-believer. Amen? So a sheep has the Holy Spirit and produces fruit. Who produces the fruit? The Holy Spirit. Amen? Increasing our understanding of what God has done for us, he helps us learn more and more about our justification and more and more about his glorious salvation that he promises us. Through the Holy Spirit, through following Christ, we learn more and more about the relationship we have in Christ. We understand the salvation that we have more and more. You know what? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means that every single day we work that salvation out more. Amen? Every day is a growing period. Every day is a time to experience God's love more, to grow more, to understand more, to lean on him more, to let the Holy Spirit minister to us through it more. Amen? In closing, church, if you're in here today, and you're saying, wow, this is a pretty cool sermon. I learned a lot. I learned that if I'm a believer, a follower of Christ, that God himself will live in me through the Holy Spirit. That's pretty amazing. How many think that's amazing? It's amazing. If I put my faith in Jesus, I will become a child of God. I will become God's. I will be an heir. I will receive his promises. And this incredible thing's going to happen to me. God himself, the Holy Spirit of God, is going to live in me as a promise. Can you imagine that? God being in you. What an amazing promise. So if you're in here today and you're like, wow, you know what? I have not placed my faith and trust in Christ. But you know what? I want everything that this preacher's talking about. I want to have a relationship. I don't want to feel hopeless. I want to have peace with God. I want God's promises. I want to be an heir. I don't want to go to hell. And you know what? I want to have the Holy Spirit of God living in my life. I want to experience God firsthand in my life. I want to feel what it feels like to be a follower. I want to know that the Holy Spirit is inside of me. And you're saying, how much does that cost? There's a heck of a sales pitch, Pastor. How much is that going to cost me? It ain't going to cost you nothing. It costs Jesus everything. He paid the price. 
You don't even have to get alone. All you got to do is believe. All you got to say is, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. And it's a free gift. It's undeserved free gift that God gives you. It's called salvation. And it's all for free. All you have to do is believe. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. We're separated from God because of our sin. But Romans 5.8 said God demonstrated how much he loves us and while we were yet sinners, dead and separated from God, Christ died for us on the cross. All you have to do is believe it. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the Word? Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. Jesus was God. Jesus was God. How much did God love you? He demonstrated it because he knew you couldn't get to him, so he came down to you over 2,000 years ago. He came to you. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He was resurrected from the dead. He came to you because you couldn't get to him. All you have to do is believe that he came, he lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross, and he was resurrected from the dead. And you've got to believe that he's God, and he's at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Believe that Jesus is your God, and believe that he paid the price in full. Amen? It's all you have to believe. That's a simple prayer, church. It's like this. Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sins separate me from you. I know that I'm broken, and I know that I cannot fix my problem. I believe that Jesus Christ came, that he lived a perfect life, and I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead three days later. I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And I believe that Jesus is alive. And most importantly, I believe that Jesus is my God. Most importantly, I believe that Jesus is my Lord, that he is my God. Lord Jesus, my God Jesus, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I trust you. Lord Jesus, save me today. I can't save myself, Lord Jesus. Save me today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. If you say a prayer like that and you mean it and you believe it, you will be saved. You'll become a child of God. You'll receive his promises and the Holy Spirit will seal you and he will live in you from this day forward for all eternity. Amen. So why would you not want to have that in your life? Why would you want to walk out of here a non-believer with no hope? If you're in here today and you've never said that prayer during this last song, I want you to say that prayer. If you're already a believer, I want you to pray about what God can do in your life. I want you to, I want you to pray about how you can be a Jesus freak. I want you to pray on how you can let the Holy Spirit run rampant in your life for a day. Or how about for the rest of your life? Amen? How about you sacrifice a day for him? How about you say, I'm not going to drive this car this week. You're going to drive it. I'm going to do what you want me to do instead of what I want to do. I'm going to give you my agenda today. Amen? If you're in here today and you haven't done that, maybe you need to be saying that prayer.